Acts chapter 5. In our account, God was working great signs and wonders among the people in Jerusalem through the apostles. Sick folks were being healed. Those who were vexed with unclean spirits were being delivered. And word began to spread and people were coming from the towns surrounding Jerusalem. But remember where God is at work, the enemy will show up. The enemy does not relinquish his territory easily. There will be a fight. The enemy here in our text has showed up in the form of the high priest and the Sadducees. And we're going to see even more tonight. They were filled with indignation because the apostles were back at the temple teaching the resurrection of Christ, which the Sadducees hated. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't like people following this group of men who are preaching a quote-unquote false doctrine. But it was more than that. They had corrupted the temple system, and they liked their money, and they didn't want that jeopardized. And so they're, they're mad, they're upset, and they laid their hands on them, and they put them in the common prison, which means they didn't get shown any special treatment. But also remember this, the enemy doesn't get to dictate when God's work is done. Whoop. God sent the angel of the Lord by night to open the prison doors and bring the apostles forth. And we saw that when the enemy fights against us, God will fight for us. And we also considered how they were delivered for a purpose. It wasn't to flee. They were delivered to go and preach more at the temple. And God instructed them in verse 20 through this angel, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. God wanted the apostles right back at the epicenter of the enemy's territory. And we concluded last week in the first part of verse 21, watching their obedience. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. The applications last week were a church in action will have enemies. We don't need to go looking for them. They will find us. <laughs> a church in action also has God fighting for them. And a church in action preaches the gospel to who God says to, how God says, where God says, which means this, a church in action is obedient to the Lord. Let's read tonight verses 21 through 25. Verse 21. And when they had heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety. And the keeper standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. We see in verse 21, the enemy not only showed up, but they showed up in full force. 
there was the powerful and corrupted high priest. And it says, they that were with him. I presume that this would be the sect of the Sadducees that are mentioned with the same similar language in verse 17. Also, we see the council has been called together. We've talked about them in previous chapters. This is the group that was headed by the high priest. They controlled the religious affairs in Judea. They included a mix of chief priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, and elders. And then we're told all the senate of the children of Israel were there as well. This is the first and last time we'll see this word senate in both the English and Greek for that matter. But the senate was made up of elders. Some believe that this may have reference to what was known as the lower Sanhedrin court. All told, if, if everybody showed up that was called, there was likely about 116 religious leaders present. We already know how they feel about these men. We saw it in chapter 4, was it? These are, we perceive that these are ignorant men. They're unlearned, but they perceive they had been with Jesus. And so here's all these religious leaders gathered together, and there is an expectation in the air that this is the day when the followers of Jesus are finally going to be done away with. This movement is going to be stopped. This is something they figured they had achieved when they had crucified Jesus. Oops. So the high priest has called all the religious leaders together in anticipation that they're going to agree, let's get rid of these apostles. Let's do this in one fell swoop. It'll put so much fear into the, uh, this church, these followers of Christ, and the sheep will scatter if we smite them. And all of his doctrine will fizzle, and this will all just go away. But instead, God is going to use this gathering of these religious leaders to show them all at one time whose side he's on. And how foolish they would be if they continued on in their obstinate rejection of the true Messiah. I was reminded of Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) The Lord shall have them in derision. So get this scene in your mind if you can. Go into this court area where this is taking place. This is so great. In fact, it's quite humorous as some of you are already picking up on The high priest, he's called them all together for the purpose of convicting. There's going to be a trial, but the purpose is to convict these apostles, punish them for disobeying their command back in 418, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And and I can imagine the high priest preparing everyone as he's about to bring in the apostles. Ahead of time, he's letting them know why he's called them all together. And and can you hear him giving his opening argument? As he talks about how there's a rapidly growing group of people in Jerusalem who are adherents of that deceiver that we crucified. That's how they referred to Jesus. Maybe he mentions how if this group is allowed to continue to grow in their influence, then their doctrine is going to destroy their profitable way of life. 
Maybe he uses the same argument they used once before in an effort to convince them all of how dangerous this movement may turn out to be for them. That was over in John 11, verses 47 and 48. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisee a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Well, that's what's taking place here. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And I can hear the high priest as he pridefully closes his opening statement on how we now have the leaders of this faction in our possession. If we all agree we have the power to overthrow this group, we can finish them off, it'll all be over. Obviously, they didn't learn their lesson with Jesus. So with all these powerful religious leaders gathered together in one place, ready to go, the officers are instructed, go fetch these men and bring them in for this hearing. But when the officers get to the prison, oops, there's no apostles. The officers return, they report how the prison is it's properly secured, there's guards in place, and when we got in there, we found they weren't. I mean, I would love to see the high priest's face at that moment. God knows how to make His enemies look foolish when He so chooses. One might think, surely this is going to cause the council to rethink their opinions of Jesus and His church. I mean, hey, they've already lost track of the body of Jesus. They tried to secure that. Where did it go? Oh, I don't know. They must have stole it by night. They've already lost track of Jesus. They, they've now lost track of the apostles who they had locked up. I would think rumors of Jesus resurrecting in the apostles inexplicably, in, in, what's the word I'm trying to say here, Adrian? Inexplicably? Inexplicably escaping would, you don't know? <laughs> that this would be cause for them to go, hmm, what's happening here? But understand, some hearts can be so hardened and, and consciences can be seared with a hot iron to the point that even when the evidence is so clearly pointing to God, people can still reject God. We have whole curriculums built off of this in the public schools. Surely God didn't say and it happened, let's bring up evolution. Well, I'll get off track there. I would think some of these men were present at the crucifixion. Wouldn't you? I would think some of these were the men who were standing there going, He saved others, Himself He cannot save. If He be the Son of God, let Him come down from the cross and we'll believe Him. For He said He's the Son of God. You see, the Jews always required a sign. Jesus had already given them the sign of the resurrection. He said, I'll give you one sign. As the prophet Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so shall the Son of Man be. He had already given them that sign, but they refused to believe. And now here's another miracle. And, and they're so calloused, these religious leaders, that they still refuse to believe the obvious. That God is on the side of this church, not on their side. Instead of being concerned they could be wrong doctrinally, we see in verse 24, they doubted whereunto this would grow. This word here, doubted, it's translated twice as perplexed. In other words, they are literally at a loss. They have no answer. God has put them in derision. <laughs> they have no explanation, at least not one that they're going to admit to yet. 
And they're more concerned with what will become of all this once word begins to spread and people learn how foolish this council looked. So you gathered all 116 of your buds and you couldn't even find them? And we're going to listen to you? They're afraid this could cause even more people to become followers of Jesus' doctrine. Why don't we want you canvassing our area? We don't want more people being followers of that doctrine. Now, they're not putting in those words, but Satan is. Instead of ending all this like they hoped, it may have gotten worse for them. And and they're still more concerned with their own self-preservation and securing their, their profitable, contaminated form of religion. They suspect these followers of Jesus might lead some kind of revolution against them. Or maybe even a political revolution against Rome. That they might end up jeopardizing their corrupted money-making temple system. The council still hasn't learned what this church is all about. Listen, we're not a political revolution. It can happen as a result. Those things can come about as people receive the Word of God and believe it and obey it. But that's not what we're about. Jesus never led a revolt against Rome. They tempted Him to. Remember the day they wanted to make Him their king? And then they they came to Him once, these these same kind of folks, and and said, uh, should we pay taxes to Rome? He takes a coin. Whose inscription's on it? Caesar's. Render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God. He never led a revolution uh, politically. We're not a political entity. We're not an arm of the Democrat or Republican Party. I wouldn't want to be connected to either one of them, to be honest with you. I got some I like in one of them. I'll let you decide which one. All right, it got tense in here. I don't know which one of you are donkeys and elephants, but come talk to me afterwards and we'll get that squared away. Listen, we're not a political entity, but we are the church of the living God. And we are concerned about the revolution of souls. We are members of a kingdom that's not of this world, and our king is our primary focus. We're not a threat to any government, except that the word of God exposes the corrupt uh, leaders and corrupt agendas. We're a threat, we're supposed to be a threat to the devil and his strongholds and those that he's holding captive. And listen, the fact of the matter is, you can study this very clearly, that the gospel where it has been received has only helped that nation. See America once upon a time. Amen. So here we are back in this court scene, and this only gets better. The religious leaders have gathered to prosecute the apostles. They've been arrested at the temple for preaching Jesus, but they can't find them when it comes time to prosecute them. And to add to this already humorous scene, as they're scratching their heads in confusion, right on cue, in verse 25, someone comes in to inform them, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. This is so great. Guess where the religious leaders are gathered? At the temple. The apostles are right under their nose. They're gathered at the temple and on the other side, the apostles are over there teaching. We know what they're teaching because they were instructed, teach the way of this life. What are they teaching? Teaching Christ. And I would think at this point, he that sitteth in the heavens is laughing. (laughs) 
You talk about boldness by these apostles. In chapter 4, the council already saw the boldness of Peter and John. And here they again, all the apostles here, are boldly preaching. Philippians 1.20 According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Proverbs 28.1 tells us that the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so we see a church in action will boldly proclaim the gospel. Even when it's not smiled upon by the leaders of our day. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And listen, we ought to be praying for boldness. We saw in chapter 4 this church was praying for boldness. The Apostle Paul even prayed for boldness. How much more should we? Ephesians 6, 19-20, And for me, Paul says, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, listen to this, as I ought to speak. (laughs) It's our reasonable service. That's why we're here upon this earth. We've been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize believers. Disciple the converts. That is our objective. A church in action has the great commission always before them. Are you doing your part in this body of believers? I don't know what that looks like for you because we're all at different physical abilities. But everybody can do something. I had somebody show up at my house today try to lead me to Christ. Thank you, Gary Dawson. That guy's a dynamo. I know he doesn't want me to brag on him, but he's out there beating the street. Got some other men that are doing that. I'm glad we stayed. What did he say? <laughs> I'm glad we stayed open during. Uh, what's that, brother? <laughs> what are you trying to say, brother? He's been trying to take over this church since he got here. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, Gary showed up and I thought, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. One of the neighbors said, oh, I think the pastor just moved in right over there. It was Mark the barber. Amen. Many of you have been getting your haircuts from him for years. Anyway, I'm getting off track, but I'm sure I'm glad, Gary, we stayed open during COVID. He came to us as a result of that. He was looking for somewhere that was open. Amen. What a blessing you are, brother. Thank Amen. you. Yes. All right, enough pulpit praise. He doesn't deserve that much. <laughs> I'm teasing. Are you doing your part? Amen. Are you doing your part? Um, it, it doesn't even have to be that you're out there hanging up the door hangers. Listen, I know people have physical limitations. They can't. You can pray. Listen, we got old timers. They go down to the uh, print press and they just collate them, John and Romans. There's always something you can do. Are you doing your part? Have you learned to trust God and be as bold as a lion? You see, that word boldness is talking about confidence. Are you confident? Maybe you don't even care. 
Are you confident enough? Are you bold enough? Listen, whether you realize it or not, your family, your friends, your co-workers, they're depending on you to be bold and to give the gospel. They're not going to put it into those words, of course. But you ought to understand that. If you don't give them the gospel, who will? The JWs? The Mormons? Listen, those two groups put us to shame. And they're as wrong as can be. Are we doing our part? Verses 26 through 29, let's move on. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Upon learning where the apostles are at, the the captain of the guard and his officers, they they go and they bring them back without violence. I, I chuckle because it's interesting to me to see the way that their treatment of these apostles has progressed. When they first apprehended them, they, they threw them into um, Peter and John into jail. Remember that over in, what is that, the beginning of chapter 4? The Bible says that they laid their hands on them. That means it was a violent thing. It wasn't pleasant. They laid their hands on them. They forcibly interrupted their service there. And they put Peter and John in, in prison and we find the same language in verse 18 when they arrested these apostles. They put them in the common prison. They laid their hands on them. Now when they fetch them a third time, it's interesting that they don't come in with ferocity, but they come in respectfully. (laughs) They don't lay hands on them. They bring them without violence. We're given the reason why. They feared the people. Interesting that that's who they're fearing. They, they feared the people. They were afraid that they would be stoned. We've been reminded a few times already how the common people in Jerusalem, they held these apostles in, in, in this church in high regard. In chapter 2, verse 47, it says they had favor with all the people. In chapter 4, verse 21, the council let Peter and John go because of the people. And in, here in 5.13, the people magnified them. And we see again, they're fearful of the people. You know, generally speaking, throughout history, the common man, if you will, has taken no issue with true Christians. Did you know that? Most of them are either not going to bother you or they respect what you're doing. But it's the governmental leaders. It's the religious leaders that have a problem with believers. Because they always fear the people, they in turn use fear to keep the people in subjection. The people favored the apostles so much that the officers feared if they took the apostles, they would be killed. If they took them with force. Also remember the religious leaders, they don't want any uprising at the temple. They don't want to cause a commotion because it can make the Romans kind of look and go, what's going on up there? And then they can come in and take care of business. 
And we see here the apostles did not resist apprehension. They go along with the captain and the officers. They do so peacefully. And for some of us, I think this is where it can get sticky because we're red-blooded Americans. Amen. Hey, listen, our nation was founded on slogans like, don't tread on me. Come and take it. Liberty or death. Now you got to love when Captain John Parker said to his minute men on Lexington Green on April the 19th, 1775, Stand your ground. Don't fire unless fired upon, but if they mean to have war, let it begin here. We're Americans. I love that old American spirit. Man, it gets me fired up. (laughs) But it saddens me how far we've departed from true patriotism. Another sermon for another time, I reckon. But as Americans, and further still as Independent Baptist. We don't like people infringing on us. (laughs) We can learn from this account when to obey earthly powers and when to defy them. So here are the apostles. They're in the middle of this back and forth between obeying God and earthly authorities. And at times it may seem like they're walking a a tightrope. Sometimes it's hard to know. Listen, we need discernment. It's, it's easy to get up and preach and it's fun to get all riled up with American spirit. But the fact of the matter is sometimes it's difficult. And the first thing I think we need to understand is that there are dif- differing governing bodies. I think this is critical. There are civil authorities and there are religious authorities. The civil authorities are things which govern our everyday life. Just think about the traffic laws you might have broke on the way in. Those are civil... Okay, everybody... <laughs> Either everybody's bad drivers or you're really good drivers because it got really quiet there. Uh, There's laws against murder. That's kind of nice. Those are civil laws. God has the civil laws also within the Ten Commandments. Then there are ecclesiastical authorities which govern religious affairs. And though it was once a problem in colonial America, if you'll study that, it's really not an issue any longer in our country. It used to be common for religious and Um, civil authorities to essentially be one and the same. Kind of similar to what God initially set up in Israel. He was to be their king. He gave the law. And then the the rulers were people like Moses. Amen. They they were the one. It was was all hand in glove. Somehow we bought this idea of the separation of church and state. But anyway, I'm okay with with Christian people being in power. We should have shouted the house down right there. You ought to be okay with it because if you like what's happening right now, you're blind. Man, my heart's pumping because I just want to preach. But we're not a political entity, Brex, so don't encourage me. (laughs) Now, what we're seeing so far here in the book of Acts is a resistance to ecclesiastical authority. It's it's a defiance to religious leaders. They are bucking against the religious system. This happened throughout the Dark Ages. Our Baptist forefathers bucked against the Catholic Church. What were they doing? They were disobeying. They were defiant to religious authority. In chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're commanded by the council, what? Don't you speak or teach 
in the name of Jesus. That's a problem. I've already quoted their response earlier. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. In other words, I don't give a flip what you're telling me. We're going to go preach Jesus. That's the Brooks version. The governing religious body in Judea gave a clear law to follow, but they disobeyed that law. Why? Because God is the higher authority. Our Lord had already given them command, the command to preach Christ everywhere. And we cannot allow man's ecclesiastical laws to trump God's law. We'll, we'll get more into this next time in these verses. But this is what we find in verses 28 and 29. That's why I read that far. The religious authority is attempting to overthrow God's authority. And the apostles know this. So they are bold when they say, we ought to obey God rather than men. But preacher, why did they yield themselves to the captain and the officers then? Why did they allow themselves to be brought in before the religious leaders? Well, first I would remind you, they already knew these days were coming. Mark 13, 9, Jesus said, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. That's where they're at. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. This is beginning to happen. And so I believe, number one, they understood the opportunity that they were about to have to go before these religious leaders and testify before them. But also as believers, we are to seek peace. Uh-oh. Romans 12, 18, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Thank God it says, as much as lieth within you. <laughs> Lord, how far is that? I don't know. I, I, I lasted as long as I could. Amen. <laughs> They're not seeking to cause a riot. And, and really, they didn't need to get cantankerous. They had their testimony to think about, and they had the testimony of God to think about. These are God's people. People are watching us. They're, they're looking to see how we react when we get kicked against. All of a sudden, lost people get religious. Listen, I, the storm's there. I'm just not letting it loose right now, so <laughs> might as well say amen before it comes out. I, listen, the, all of a sudden, the lost get spiritual. Oh, I, I didn't think Christians were supposed to act that way. Well, if you know we're supposed to act so good, why ain't you one? A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Now, I think we ought to be fine trying to show respect to others. Amen. At the same time, not fearing to stand boldly for our God. And if we're charged with a violation, we shouldn't fear standing and giving an answer for that. 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness, meekness and fear. Paul said in Acts 25.11, For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I think dealing with ecclesiastical authorities is easy enough. 
we're good Baptists, amen? We got no problem looking at another group and saying, ah, that's what we do. We're an independent church. There's a reason that I'm independent. Some of you may not understand, why are we an independent Baptist church? Because we don't want another church trying to tell us what we need to do. I don't need a parent church looking down on us and say, well, you got to use this curriculum. No, I don't think so. Say, well, who's running this church then? God. He's the head. We're the body. And there are overseers, but that's another thing. So what do we do when we're dealing with civil authorities, which is most often the case here in our country? What do we do with passages like Romans 13? Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. What do we do with that? First of all, context is everything. That's not just a cool statement that preachers throw out. Context is everything. And in context, well, that's found in chapter 12, because this is the beginning of Romans 13. In Romans 12, it's saying there towards the end, recompense to no man evil for evil. And it goes on to say, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. And what Paul is saying here, this is why God has ordained civil authorities. Don't take matters into your own hands. There's a system in place, whether you like the system or not, that's the one that is set up in this country and ordained by God. And so to the best of our ability, we follow that. So are we ever justified in disobeying civil authority? The answer is certainly. I think of Moses' parents in Exodus. The civil law on the land, hey, all Hebrew males got to be killed. And Moses' mom and dad refused to obey. Hey, they were blessed for that. Well, I thought it said that you'll receive damnation. It's all about the context. But what if the Romans who were, what if it was the Romans who were commanding them not to speak in the name of Jesus? The civil authority. What if our Supreme Court rules Christians can't speak or teach in the name of Jesus? Well, it's a good question, but it's really quite simple. You see, when that happens, what is taking place is the civil authority is now taking unto themselves religious authority. They're changing lanes. In those instances, we are duty-bound to obey God rather than men. Anytime that civil laws are unethical and moral or go against God's law, then we have to be defiant for conscience sake. We respect the laws of the land. We obey them as far as we can with a good conscience before God. But just as soon as it crosses the line with God's law, we have to follow the higher authority. Acts 24, 16. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Romans 14, 12. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 
So if man's laws cause you to violate your conscience with God, follow God. Let God determine the outcome. It may not be an outcome you want. They were burning people at the stake one time because they were defiant to the authority in the land, the Roman Catholic Church. But you let God determine the outcome. I know I haven't really been able to preach much here. We're just kind of going through this, but I want to leave you with this thought. There is no sweeter, more peaceful feeling than knowing at night you can lay down your head in peace because you're right with God. That you have a clear conscience with God. Say, where does this begin and end? What does your conscience tell you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you? I had plenty of examples I can give you from the military. Brooks, we need you to do I ain't doing it. What do you mean you ain't doing it? It breaks my conscience with God. Well, you're going to get a 1206. Well, 1206 away, buddy. Don't bother me none. Say, what's a 1206? It don't matter. I can't even believe I remember that number. How sick is that? Whatever your conscience says. I took on a part-time job. I had a couple of them at one time. And um, we were stationed here. I, I went to work at Pizza Hut down there in Box Elder. It is now demolished. Which was, makes perfect sense because they demolished it right as Box Elder is exploding, but whatever. And I told them when I started driving for them, I said, I will not serve alcohol. I just won't. That's my conviction. Well, they hired a waitress that was below 21. Gary, I need you to go into the the cooler and take a beer to that table. Ain't going to happen. What do you mean? Of course, they look at you like you're the stupidest man on the planet. I'm not going to do it. Why not? It breaks my conscience with God. I'm just trying to give you examples. Did you lose your job? Yup. I didn't like my car smelling like boxes of pizza anyway. Boy, the pizza's good when you get it, but when it sits in your car to deliver it, it stinks. I'm just saying, be right with God. Be right with God. If, if your employer hires you and you told them when you, when you hired on, I can't work Wednesday nights or Sundays because you want to stay faithful to the house of God, when they come along and say, well, you got to work or you get fired, get fired. Now, that's tough for me to say because I was active duty for 21 years and I was told I had to go to work and if you didn't go to work, you got put in jail. So I understand there's times. There's first responders. There's military. There's, there's jobs you can't. But if you're... What's, what's a popular job around here with teens? I don't know. If you're doing the ice cream machine in Armadillos and they tell you you got to go work, no. Somebody help me preach. I want a clear conscience with God. Uh, let's not pick on armadillos. Too many of y'all work there. And, and I love me some armadillos. Somebody say amen. You go to work at Lowe's. They sit you down for an interview. Well, I can't work this day. I want to stay faithful to church. And then they, they pull the 180 on you and say, well, I'm going to need you to come in this Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday, the next Sunday. No. I want a clear conscience with God. Now, I'm giving you these bottom-level examples to tell you it doesn't matter the level of authority. You, you move on up, and, and you've got the commander-in-chief telling you. 
Don't you sing in church? Oh, that would never happen. Were you here for 2020? The authorities in power were telling churches, you can't sing. Thank God we never had a problem here. But man, I felt sorry for my brethren in California. We had authorities telling us, you can't gather together. Who are you to tell me as an earthly authority how I'm supposed to obey my heavenly authority? Man, I'm telling you, it's, it's, Adrian, I'm sorry, honey, but you're gonna, it's going to be a miserable night for you. Because I'm preaching to somebody before it's over. We had the government of the United States saying, you are non-essential. Can you imagine? Man, I'm telling you, those men that shed their blood back in the 1770s had to be rolling over in their grave. Well, I, I can feel, I got to shut this thing down. I don't be here all night just blabbering. Listen, have a clear conscience with God. Amen. Let, let's leave it there. Listen, are you bold in your witness to others? And do you have a clear conscience? Let's pray.